The sermon this morning is from Luke 12, 13 through 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods, laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you, are, what you eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows what you need, that you need them, and said, Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. One mother gave her daughter a dollar bill and a quarter and said, sweetheart, you can put either one in the offering plate. It's up to you. So they were driving home from church after the Sunday service, and the mother said, so sweetheart, what did you, what did you decide to give? And she said, well, at first I was going to put the dollar in the plate, but then the man behind the pulpit said that God loves a cheerful giver. And so I thought I'd be a lot more cheerful if I put the quarter in instead. You know, Jesus addresses something here that um, is actually very close to all of us. He says in verse 15, take care or be on your guard against all covetousness. All kinds of greed, that's what it means. And he tells this parable to answer the question, how do you overcome greed and become a generous giver? And he talks about the, the problem of greed, the signs of greed, and then the cure for it. So let's, let's start with the problem of greed. Jesus identifies here two real problems with greed. And the first problem is that greed is hidden. 
Meaning that it's something that is not, is not uh, clear to all of us. It's not out in the open. In fact, look what he says in verse 15. He says, take care and be on your guard. Now, he's speaking this to the younger brother who is upset he hasn't gotten part of the inheritance. We, we can presume the father died and the older brother kept the inheritance for himself and he wasn't sharing it. And so this younger brother comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, look what my older brother's doing. And of course, Jesus' response is, listen, I'm not an arbitrator. Now, what Jesus means by that is he's not saying that there wasn't some injustice done that the older brother shouldn't have shared. That's not the point. Jesus says, that's not my mission. I didn't come to be an arbitrator. But what does he do at that point? He starts to address the younger brother's issue. And how does he do it? Well, according to the younger brother, who's the greedy one in the story? It's his older brother, right? The older brother's the one that's keeping the inheritance. And so this younger brother's coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, fix my older brother's greed problem. Make him share. And then what's Jesus' response? <laughs> Let's deal with your greed problem first. Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. You see, greed and covetousness and materialism are hidden. And they're hidden from us. One pastor was doing a men's breakfast series on the seven deadly sins. You know, lust and pride and sloth and anger and, and greed is one of them. Guess which one was the least attended breakfast? It was greed. He had more men come out to talk about sloth than greed, that it's hidden. Uh, in her book, The Overspent American, Juliet Chore, she presents some empirical evidence of this. Listen, listen to this. One only, one third of American households that make $100,000 think they have enough to buy what they need. Now that means that two thirds of American households that make $100,000 don't think they have enough to buy what they need. Let me give you a couple other things here. John Zogby, he did a, a large benchmark poll that revealed that the, the number one, by the people that responded, that the number one problem with American culture was greed and materialism. That's what the poll showed. 2014 Vanity Fair poll revealed that 78% that of people in our culture disagree with Gordon Gecko's famous statement that greed is good, okay? So 78% of people said, no, no, greed is bad, it's not good. And then there was a poll done in The Economist where uh, they asked um, the, the people that were responding, what is the deadliest sin? And the number one response was greed. Now, here's the irony, that everyone thinks greed is a problem, but no one thinks that they themselves are greedy. Case in point, BBC did a, a poll on the, the seven deadliest sins. Okay, seven deadly sins, which are anger, envy, gluttony, greed, lust, pride, and sloth. They asked these two questions. Which sin have you ever committed? And which sin have you committed in the past month? Guess where greed fell? Seven. Number seven. 
What's this tell us? That greed hides itself from its victim. It hides itself from its victim. When Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all kinds of greed, what he's saying there is, ask questions. Do you really need this? How can you give more? In your pursuit of money, are you working for a a business that produces um, products and deals that harm people? And one pastor was having a conversation with a... uh, a wealthy TV executive of a certain channel that he wouldn't let his teenage daughters watch. And this pastor kind of poked a little bit and said, do you think that's inconsistent at all? And he said the, the executive wouldn't, he wouldn't answer the question. He just dodged it. He didn't, want to, he didn't want to take care and be on guard. He didn't want to ask questions. And I would say it's probably true for all of us. Because greed is hidden, we don't want to ask the questions that may reveal an issue in our hearts and that may cause us to have to do something different or to give something up. And so greed is hidden. Now, the second problem with greed is that it's unquenchable. It's unquenchable. I want you to notice in this parable, right, who Jesus is speaking to. He speaks the parable to this younger brother who is coming to Jesus as the have-not, right? The younger brother doesn't have the inheritance. The older brother has it. So you've got the have-not looking at the have, his older brother, or the poor one looking at the rich one, and he's coming to Jesus and saying, what are you gonna do, Jesus? And then notice the parable that Jesus tells is a rich man who has more than he can handle, right? It's a rich man that had a landfall crop, This massive inheritance of a crop was dropped on him, and he didn't even know what to do. It was so much. What's Jesus communicating to this young man, this young brother? He's saying this, that greed is not a respecter of social class or socioeconomic status, that you can be poor and have nothing and be greedy, that you can be rich and have everything and be greedy. Why? Because one, greed is an issue of the heart, and two, greed is unquenchable. You never get to a place where you've arrived where you say, I don't need anything more. Give you an example of this. Uh, Sam Polk, he wrote an article in in the New York Times. By age 30, by age 30, he had made over $5 million in bonuses from Wall Street. At one point, he quit Wall Street and ended up, he still, this, this obsession for money was in, in him, and so he went to work for a hedge fund. And listen to what he said in this article about working at the hedge fund or, or for a hedge fund. Now, working elbow to elbow with billionaires, I was a giant fireball of greed. I think about how my colleagues could buy Micronesia if they wanted to, or become the mayor of New York City. They didn't just have money, they had power. Senators came to their offices. They were royalty. And then he describes this was like the breaking point for him. He was angry when he received a $3.6 million bonus because it wasn't enough. And he realized at that point that he had what he called a wealth addiction. And listen to what he says. He explained, I came to realize I had been using money as this thing that would quell all my fears. 
So I had this belief that maybe someday I would get enough money that I would no longer be scared. I would feel successful. And one of the things I learned on Wall Street was no matter how much money I made, the money was never going to do it. That greed and covetousness is unquenchable. So how do you overcome greed and become a generous giver? First, you recognize the hiddenness of greed. You start asking questions, and you recognize it's unquenchable. But second, you see the signs of greed. Because the question you have to ask now is, great, well, this, this helps me. <laughs> greed is hidden. It's hidden from my heart. Well, what do I do? How do I find out if I'm greedy? Or how do I find out? This is probably the better question. How do I find out when I have crossed the line from a wise steward to someone who is gripped by greed? And Jesus gives us two heart signs and two behavioral signs in this parable and the explanation that follows. First, the first heart sign. Here's the question. Why did this man in the parable tear down his barns and build bigger ones? You say, well, he had a, this bumper crop. He had nowhere to put it, okay? Why did he have to store this bumper crop? Verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. First of all, notice the deep inner heart talk that's going on in this man. I mean, he is speaking to his soul, to the depth of his heart, right? Deep into his heart. He's speaking. And, and, and why did he store up all of these crops? It was for security. Right? It was for security. That money, right? You can use money to control what, what is an uncontrollable world. Or you can use money to, to, to bring safety in what is a dangerous world, right? That, that money can be security. First Timothy chapter six, Paul says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. And then Jesus expounds on this in verse 24 of our passage when he says, Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? You see what Jesus is saying there? The ravens are secure because God makes them secure. What makes you secure? What makes you feel secure? Is it your 401k? Is it a big life insurance policy? Is it that rainy day fund that you have stored up? Is it a, a big inheritance that you know you're gonna get one day from your parents? In other words, what, what makes you feel secure? Or does God make you secure? That's what Jesus is driving at here. The second heart sign of greed, so you've got security. The second heart sign shows up in verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they, make, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. God makes the lilies beautiful. Their beauty comes from, comes from God. You see, a, a second kind of greed is when you set your heart on money for not just security, but you set your heart on money for beauty. In other words, you use money 
to make yourself attractive, to make yourself desirable, to make yourself worthy. Maybe you shop for a certain type of clothing to achieve that, or you buy a certain kind of car to achieve that, or you buy a certain home in a certain neighborhood to achieve that. That what Jesus is speaking here is of the danger and the kind of greed that uses money to make yourself attractive, to make yourself beautiful. Here's the problem with that. One of the problems, very practical. When you accrue and spend money to make yourself attractive and desirable, you'll never know if people really like you for you. So what you're trying to get, you'll never really know. You'll never know. Interesting, both of these heart problems or these heart signs that Jesus gives, one is a spending problem, one is a saving problem, isn't it? Right, the security sign, the heart sign of security, that's a saving problem. And the beauty and the attractiveness, and that's a spending problem, and we've got in this room savers and spenders, you know, and sometimes within a marriage. Savers look at spenders and say what? Undisciplined. Spenders look at savers and go what? Miser. And Jesus says, guess what? You're both greedy. <laughs> You're both greedy, right? Both are greed. They're just different forms. Those are the heart signs. But then Jesus introduces behavioral signs, And it's these behavioral signs that actually are the indicators of the heart signs of greed. Behavioral signs, the first one that Jesus shows us is in verse 17, right after he tells the parable. This this kind of begins Jesus' explanation. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. You see what he's describing here. Anxiety... Anxiety over what you will eat. What's that? Provision and security. Anxiety over what you put on. What's that? Beauty, attractiveness, worth. Jesus says, listen, if you're, if you're using money to gain security or beauty and worth, you're gonna be anxious. You will be a, an anxious, worried person. Now, if anxiety doesn't hit home for some of you, which I know that's the case, and you say, I, I'm just not an anxious person. Well, Jesus has another behavioral sign that I think will hit home, and it's preoccupation, right? Look at, look at verse 17. This is classic. This, this rich man who just had this bumper crop, he says, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Wow, well, I've got a problem on hand. I've got so much. What am I going to do? And what does he do? He starts thinking and, and, and daydreaming. And what am I going to do with this crop? Oh, I'll, I'll tear down the barns and build bigger ones. Right? He's preoccupied. And when you get down to verse 29, when Jesus says, and do not seek, the word seek here means to, to be preoccupied with. You seek after something. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. For the nations of the world seek or are preoccupied with these things, right? Preoccupation, constantly thinking about how you're gonna spend your money to achieve attractiveness and desirability or constantly thinking how you're going to save your money to achieve security and to see, achieve protection. That there's this constant thinking. It can look like uh, staring at your bank account all the time. Uh, it can look like constantly checking your investments or, or, or it can look like 
constantly shopping on the internet or what it may be, you know, what you're gonna buy next to achieve your worth and your identity, right? That we're preoccupied. First Timothy 6, Paul says this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Now listen, it's not money. There's nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money, right? It is through this craving, greed or covetousness, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And anxiety, preoccupation, this pain that comes when we find ourselves in a place of greed. You know, if, if money and stuff and possessions were the way to happiness, then it would make sense that, United, that the United States of America would be one of the happiest countries, right? Well, I mean, by wealth per capita, we're at the top or near the top. And yet in 2012, uh, there was a Gallup poll done and they came out of this poll and the United States ranked 33rd in the world on the happiness scale. In fact, seven of the top 10 countries in the you know, most happy were Latin American countries that were well down the list on wealth per capita. In fact, just a couple examples. Um, war-torn, civil war-torn Guatemala, way down on wealth per capita, seventh on, on, on happiness. Panama, residents of Panama, the nation ranks 90th in the world in wealth per capita, way down, right up near the top in happiness. See, money, money cannot buy happiness and, and anxiety and preoccupation and security and beauty and attractiveness, all those things that we want that we try to use money to get only leave us in a place of pain. So, what's the cure then? If greed is hidden and it's unquenchable and there's these heart signs and behavioral signs and every one of us this morning, to some degree, is, is pinned to the wall, then what's the cure? Well, Jesus points us to two types of wealth in this parable and the explanation that follows. And the first is inner wealth. You'll notice after this rich man has this uh, self-talk going on, right? He's talking to his soul. He's talking to his heart, trying to convince his heart. That after he has this, at the end of the parable, right, Jesus says this, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not, there's the key, not rich toward God. In other words, if you're lacking richness towards God, inner wealth, then you have no choice but to lay up treasure for yourself. And you say, well, then what is inner wealth? Go down to verse 32 and look what Jesus says. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Now, notice the order of that. He doesn't say, sell your possessions, give to the needy, and then you get the kingdom. No, Jesus says, the Father graciously gives you his kingdom freely. Now, with the wealth of the kingdom in you, now sell your possessions, give to the needy. He's talking about grace here. He's talking about grace, that you're given the kingdom. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, 
He became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see, God gave up his most treasured possession to get you. Jesus gave up everything. He sold everything. He liquidated his wealth to get you as his treasured possession. You know, every treasure in this world demands that you die to purchase it. Jesus is the only treasure that dies to purchase you. And so this inner wealth, this treasure of Jesus is ultimately what helps you or enables you to overcome greed. And the question is this morning, functionally, is Jesus your treasure? Not intellectually, but functionally at a heart level, is Jesus Christ your treasure? Are you rich towards God? Because when you are, you will find that the claws of greed start to loosen and that you're free to to give to the needy. So Jesus says, inner wealth, do you have it? Do you have inner wealth that can free you up to be a generous giver? Second, though, the second type of wealth that he identifies in this passage is communal wealth. Communal wealth. Now you say, where are we getting that from? Notice in verse 32, he says, fear not. Which, you have to ask the question, what would they be fearful of? Well, Jesus is talking about money here, and so it's fear of, their, fear of not being able to put food on the table, fear of having financial crisis, fear of not being able to provide. And what's Jesus' answer as to why they should not fear? He says, because I've given you the kingdom, that the kingdom of God will meet those needs. So don't fear. Now, typically, the way we run with this is that This equates to um, the check showing up in the mail miraculously on the last day when you haven't been able to pay your bills or or the meal that shows up on your doorstep when you're out of money and you don't have groceries, right? You've come to the end. God works that way. There is no doubt about it. But I think Jesus is tying into something here that is much more concrete and much more tangible. He says, fear not what? Little flock. He's speaking to a a, a small community of people who are following Jesus. And he gives more insight into this in Mark chapter 10, when Jesus has just finished speaking to the rich young ruler who turned away from Jesus and walked away because of his greed. And what what does Jesus say at the end of that encounter with the rich young ruler? He says, truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. What's Jesus saying there? When we enter the kingdom of God, when we trust Christ and we enter the kingdom, we get a new family. Right? We get brothers, we get sisters and spiritual moms and dads. We become a family. But notice what else he says there. You get houses and lands. What does that mean? Well, it's been very poorly interpreted uh, in certain ways. What does he mean there? He means that when you become a member of the kingdom, when you trust Christ and you're a member of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God meets those needs because the kingdom of God shares its possessions and the local expression of the kingdom, the church, shares its possessions so that no one is in need. Acts chapter two, nobody was in need. 
They shared possessions. They gave to each other. They were generous. That's why we have here at Christ Church East what's called the Deacon's Fund. We collect for it once a month after communion. It is a fund that is not in the operating budget. It is, it is purely um, funded by donations from God's people. And it's there to meet the needs of people in this church who have financial need, who find themselves in financial straits so that no one has need, right? And let me just pause and encourage you for a second, like I did last week, because I, I see God cultivating an amazing heart of mercy and generosity in this congregation. When we planted Christ Church East, the Deacon's Fund fluctuated between $6,000 and $10,000, depending on people that were needing stuff and what was being added into it. In the past couple of years, our Deacon's Fund has fluctuated between $35,000 and $45,000. And that's not because we're not spending it and it's just accruing. It is being spent all the time on people who find themselves in need financially. The reason it's there is because of generous hearts of God's people giving and sharing their possessions. See, Jesus says that communally you're wealthy, that you recognize, that you would recognize in a church that you have communal wealth, that you have brothers and sisters that are willing to share and be generous so that you never find yourself in a time or a place of need that's not met, right? Communal wealth. So greed is hidden, Greed is unquenchable. The signs of it, the heart signs are security and, and beauty or worth. The behavioral signs, anxiety and preoccupation and the cure for it is the two kinds of wealth that Jesus defines, inner wealth and communal wealth. Now, let me, let me close with this story. They were waiting at a traffic light in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, John or Kevin and Joan Salwin's 14-year-old daughter, Hannah, was sitting in the car at this traffic light. And on one side, she looked over, and there was this very, very fancy, luxurious, expensive car. And she looked over on the other side, and there was a homeless man with a sign begging for food. And this teenage girl said, Mom, Dad, what are we going to do about this? And, you know, the simple mind of a teenager said, if that man had a less expensive car, then this man wouldn't be hungry. And, of course, the parents, you know, tried to, probably tried to explain, well, it's not that simple, honey, and, you know, it'll be okay. But she wouldn't, she wouldn't resist. She wouldn't stop. And she kept saying, what are we going to do? And so finally her mother asked, what do you think we should do? And she said, sell our house. Imagine that. Right? Your teenager comes up to you and says, we need to sell our house. She said, sell our house. So they ended up doing that. They ended up selling their house. It was a luxurious home. They sold it, and they gave half of the proceeds to a charity, and they bought a modest replacement home. And this daughter and father ended up going on to write a small little book called The Power of Half. And listen to what the purpose of the book is. I love this. It says, the aim of the book isn't to get people to sell their houses, but simply to encourage them, listen to this, to step off the treadmill of accumulation. 
to step off the treadmill of accumulation, to define themselves by what they give, not just by what they possess. And then this girl, Hannah, the 14-year-old girl, went on to, to say, for us, the house was just something we could live without. It was too big for us. Everyone has too much of something, whether it's time, talent, or treasure. Everyone does have their own half. You just have to find it. Let's pray. Father, we admit this morning, every one of us, we admit the hidden nature of greed. It's hard to diagnose, it's hard to detect, it hides itself. And many of us are asking the questions now to try to discern right, that, that, that line of where we're at. And yet every one of us in this room is guilty of greed and of covetousness. So it's a product of our fallenness, of our fallen human nature. And yet, Jesus, you came to, to rescue us from greed. You came and, and liquidated everything to find us and to purchase us, that you would be our treasure, that we would have this inner wealth, this richness towards you that would free our hands from stuff. Jesus, a relationship with you changes our relationship to money. It changes our relationship to possessions. And we pray that today and the coming week that you would, by your spirit, do the work in us to help us become a generous people. That you would so root us in your wealth, Jesus, that we would be free to give away. Jesus, we know that in your gospels, you talk about money far more and far more often than any other sin. It's not because it's worse, it's because it goes hidden. And so help us to ask the questions without fear. And I, I pray specifically that there may be some very tangible actions that come out of this. Father, where you help us to, to release our grip and to give in areas we've never given to give our time in areas we've never given our time or our gifts, certainly our treasures. And we give you our lives and we ask that you would use them and all the resources we have for your kingdom, for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.